Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. With their blend of tacky decor, exotic cocktails, hula skirts and loud shirts, nothing said fun quite like the tiki bars and Polynesian-themed lounges that sprang up in the US back in the 50s and the 60s. Paolo Mardo's an audio producer based in California who show long distance, tells stories about the Filipino diaspora. She first got interested in tiki bars when she found out all about the uh, Filipino bartenders who got jobs at some of these drinking spots. She even did her university thesis about them. And with these bars experiencing a bit of a revival, she reviews their somewhat problematic cultural heritage. The very first tiki bar was called Don the Beachcomber, a nautical-themed bar that opened in Hollywood in 1934, one year after the repeal of Prohibition. Its founder was a man who went by the name of Don Beach. Don was a character. He loved to party and to travel. He decorated his bar with souvenirs from his many trips to Hawaii and other Polynesian islands. He also rented them to film productions, becoming an advisor for movies set in the South Seas, which were very popular at the time. A little crazy considering the fact that he wasn't a historian and had no real connections to Hawaii or the Pacific. Regardless of Don's qualifications, his bar attracted Hollywood coworkers and celebrity guests like Charlie Chaplin, Marlena Dietrich, and Howard Hughes. Soon, other tiki bar chains started opening up across the country, like Trader Vic's, where the Mai Tai was invented. What I learned about tiki bars was that they really arose after World War II, after servicemen came back from the Pacific. That's Karen Williams, a Cook Islander film producer who works at the New Zealand Film Commission. Years ago, she worked on a film called American Tiki. Obviously, they'd been in the war and that had been horrible, but they'd also had these great experiences on the beach, at the luau, with the hula girls, and they were sort of trying to recreate that in their own world. By the time Hawaii became the 50th state in 1959, tiki bars expanded into Polynesian-style lounges and restaurants. But they weren't just places to eat and drink. Sven Kirsten, author of Tiki Pop and several books on tiki bars and culture, says that tiki bars were an experience. Well, the tiki bar experiences really starts with coming from the outside of an urban environment through the doors. Often they would have a little footbridge over a moat with, you know, tiki torches burning, and you would enter a different, different reality. You're in a South Seas hut or garden. Exotica music plays in the background. The lights are dim. The walls are colorful. There are all sorts of tropical accents like bamboo, rattan, masks, tikis. 
The exotic sights and sounds tickle your taste buds and your senses. Waiters serve you American Chinese food with pineapple for some Polynesian flavor. But the main course of the Tiki Bar is its selection of tropical drinks, and there are many to choose from. They're all served in mugs decorated with tiki's skulls, or even topless hula girls. You see, the idea of the Tiki Bar is to sit in a completely artificial but natural-looking environment, where you drink these special cocktails, and the place sort of lulls you into this illusion that you were in the South Seas. All right, I know that sounded like a tropical paradise, but didn't it also sound kind of weird? Topless hula girls and skulls? American Chinese food with pineapple for Polynesian flavor? I guess you could call that Asian fusion. By the 1960s, tiki culture was so popular that it touched on everything. Movies, music, design, architecture. Think Hawaiian or Aloha shirts and lays. A fancy night out was a trip to the local tiki lounge. Backyard luau's were popular as people built their own home tiki bars, complete with tiki torches and mugs, and record players spinning Hawaiian music. By the time the Brady Bunch vacationed in Hawaii and faced the curse of the tiki idol, tiki bars and culture were a bona fide pop culture phenomenon. Hey, this is my tiki. That's my tiki. I know what you're thinking. Why tiki bars? Why talk about them now? Well, I wanted to know more about Ray Buchan and the story of the Filipino bartenders who worked at these first tiki bars in L.A. And tiki bars are actually coming back in a really big way. There's tiki bars popping up all over the place in big cities and in smaller cities, especially on the West Coast. That's Catherine Spires, and she's written about tiki bar history and the big tiki resurgence that's happening right now. And I think part one of that is escapism. The other element is that I think that tiki was really the first mixology. Catherine says that the original tiki drinks were really good, complicated but not in a fussy way, and layered purposefully. These days, there's a growing respect for the cocktail in America. Just head to your nearest fancy restaurant or bar, and you'll see a cocktail menu about as long as your food menu. You can thank tiki bars for that. But not everyone is happy about this resurgence of all things tiki. I was born in New Zealand, or Aotearoa, as we call it in the Maori language. That's the film producer Karen Williams again. We talked over Skype about a tiki bar documentary she started working on when she lived in L.A., right around the corner from the Tiki Tea. I found the whole thing really fairly bizarre. They were Polynesian-themed places, but when you really got down to it, the culture and the history was pretty shallow. Karen didn't end up making the film, but her research showed that tiki bars enforced a lot of negative stereotypes about Pacific Islanders. Yeah, so there's a drink that they do in the Tiki Tea, and it's called the Ogabuga. They pour this rum drink and all the patrons in the bar yell out, Ooga booga, ooga booga, when they're making this drink. 
that is really pretty offensive. That is real kind of jungle bunny stuff. That is reinforcing stereotypes of Polynesians as kind of jungle savages, that whole ooga booga idea. So in New Zealand, the word tiki or hei tiki, these represent actual Polynesian ancestors. The tribes of Polynesia can trace their origins back to these ancestors. So for me, it represents ancestors. They represent spirituality and old spirituality, which is actually still very much alive today. So, you know, seeing it in a bar is really, in many ways, it's degrading those images and degrading that history. Tiki's everywhere. I meet Sven Kirsten, author of Tiki Pop, at his home in Los Angeles, which he calls a tiki museum. He's been collecting tiki masks, mugs, figures, and other memorabilia over the last 30 years. This big tiki here that you see standing there, and some of these lamps came from the tiki's amusement park. This is my smoking table with my tiki tea mugs that I designed. Sven says he got into what he calls tiki culture in the 1980s, when tiki was already out of style, poo-pooed by the younger generation in the 60s and 70s for being politically incorrect, tacky, kitschy, plastic, and artificial. And that's exactly why Sven was so intrigued. The artificiality of it all was decried by that generation. In retrospect, for me, the artificiality of it became the cool thing. The Kings actually wrote a song about Waikiki, and they rhymed Waikiki with hula skirts made out of PVC. <laughs> I love artifice, and I'm always interested by the reinterpretation of a culture by another culture. Tiki fans like Sven started researching and writing about tiki drinks, music, the overall aesthetic in the 90s. Sven's book Tiki Pop has copies of old tiki bar menus. Here's one of them. It's from a place called the Cannibal Room Cocktail Lounge. First drink on the list, right above the Mai Tai, The Black Woman. A dusky bell from deep in the jungle, sweeter than most, gets along with anything, but favors vodka. Here's another one. The Headhunter Special. You'll lose your head over this one. That's next to a drawing of a brown man in a loincloth. He's holding a bloody head and a big knife. You see, tiki bars became shorthand for what was exotic and foreign to Americans at the time. I asked Sven if he thought tiki bars were, in some way, offensive, inaccurate, an appropriation of Pacific culture. Well, you know, it's, it's, you have to decide for yourself. And I respect people that don't like it. But if you go to a Chinese restaurant, I don't know of any Buddhists that are offended by Buddha statues and illustrations of the goddess Kuan Yin on, on the menu. It's mythology, but they are a cultural symbol for something. I like going to kitschy Bavarian restaurants like the Red Lion and see all these representations of Germans in lederhosen and with these giant beer mugs, which to somebody like me from northern Germany 
absolutely ridiculous because that's not how we run around there. But anything that is a pop culture version of an authentic culture made for entertainment and for recreation is bound to not be authentic. It was never intended to be an insult. It was created out of a love for that culture and a fascination with that culture. Some of episode six of Long Distance, written, hosted and produced by Paula Mardo. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.